0: Bang <coughs> <coughs> <coughs>
1: Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the small battered case held together with a large quantity of neatly knotted string of Mangum reeds. We are three muggles who feel that more ailments should be cured with chocolate. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts B. J. and Spencer. How are you all doing?
0: Feeling so accurately summarized as a person as a battered case wrapped together by string.
1: <laughs> it's neat string, at least. It's it just is a neat lot string. of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but doing well, That's Sarah. Pardon. <laughs> You could say it's intertwined with the uh, story. Oh,
1: (laughs) Knitted together. Um, Mm. So we are on chapter five of the third book of Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. The chapter title, Spencer, finally is The Dementor.
0: I know what this is now. (laughs) Well, do you, though?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: I know a few
1: things about what a Dementor is.
0: I've got a visual and a confirmation that they are the Oscavan guards that everyone's been talking about. That is more than I had before.
1: That's what? No. Well, yes, it's hard to argue with that, Spencer. <laughs> you gained some pieces of information. Small victories. Yes. Um, we have a series of small victories that we go through on this podcast. Uh, we have a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's wizard wheezes, which are increasingly grammar related as we go forward. <laughs> Um, we have newbies notes from Spencer we have house points to award and then there are as always um, many questions hmm are we well, ready to go
0: I assuming you've got an estimate for how long you think this one will take
1: oh boy I get I believe I have it under two minutes Spencer um, but oof, it's uh, a little rocky <laughs>
0: A fair amount happens in what would normally be a, quite literally a transitional chapter. So, yeah, best of luck.
1: Yeah, we are we are technically on a train for most of this chapter. <laughs> it's transition.
0: All right, the giant novelty stopwatch is ready. At your pleasure. Okay.
1: So Harry is trying to tell Ron what he overheard Mr. Weasley saying in the bar last night about Sirius Black, but there's a lot of kerfuffle getting everyone ready to leave, especially Crookshanks. Uh, they take Ministry of Magic cars to the train station, and they make it through to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. When everyone starts to peel off in their own direction, Mr. Weasley pulls Harry aside to have a quiet word, and Harry fesses up to overhearing. Mr. Weasley, somewhat bafflingly, makes Harry promise not to go looking for Black. Anyway, the train takes off, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione search for an empty car so Harry can fill the other two in. The best they can find is a car with a very shabby, very asleep, adult wizard, Professor R.J. Lupin, presumably the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. It is the closest to privacy they'll get, so they sit down and Harry tells them what he knows. At that point, Harry's sneakoscope starts whistling from his trunk, so he shoves it in a pair of socks. Much chatter ensues about Hogsmeade, where Harry can't go. Hermione lets Crookshanks out, and Scabbers immediately hides in Ron's pocket. As the journey goes on, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle turn up, but are put off by the presence of the sleeping Lupin. Nearing the school and the end of their journey, the train shudders to a halt and all the lamps go out. In their dark and confused state, there's much shuffling around. Jenny and Neville turn up, and finally, in the hubbub, Lupin wakes up. And then a cloaked figure arrives at the door. The car is swept with cold, and Harry, most affected of all, hears terrible screams and passes out. He comes to and finds finds that they're... Wasn't any screaming. No one passed out. And Lupin is feeding them all chocolate. Uh, That, Spencer, was a Dementor. Lupin sent it away, but these are the Azkaban guards sent to look for Sirius Black. They make it to Hogwarts and take a horseless coach up to the castle. Harry and Hermione get waylaid by McGonagall, uh, who asks them to come to her office. She and Madame Pomfrey check on Harry post-Dementor, which have been set as guards around the school. And then McGonagall has a private confab with Hermione about her classes. They miss the sorting but get to the feast where Dumbledore has cryptic advice about the Dementors and introduces two new teachers, Lupin in Defense Against the Dark Arts, and Hagrid in Care of Magical Creatures. At the end of the feast, they head back up to Gryffindor Tower.
0: With four seconds to spare, and that was a remarkably complete recap.
1: Whew, thank you. <laughs>
2: um, I do um, want to mention, before we get too far away from it, is uh, while it is a different spelling, there mm-hmm. is a scientist that I know that has the last name... And he pronounces it slightly differently, but it's spelled like it would be pronounced Crookshanks, which I find very funny. <laughs> oh, does I love has,
0: that so much!
2: <laughs> d- does he have a similar, a similar, a s- similar temperament? Uh, no, he, he's a little bit quieter. He's, a, I would say, a lot more like Errol than he is Krookshanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Well, Well, while I finish wheezing after that, uh, BJ, would you like to give us your wizard wheezes? Um,
2: uh, Yes, I I do have a couple, but I do want to mention that um, as far as I remember, the train stopped before it made it to Hogwarts.
1: Yes, it did. Um, Mm
2: -hmm. As opposed to at Hogwarts, which makes for some questions that I have for later in our podcast. Okay. Um, So... Um, the first thing that I want to ask is about comma usage. Um, because there's a sentence that, that I noticed that, that I was, uh, parsing out the syntax and the commas just didn't, sometimes they're overzealous, but these just seem confusing.
1: Okay. Can you take us there? Um,
2: I can. So it is when Penelope is introduced. Um, and Percy goes Mm -hmm. over to talk to her and, and we get an entertaining sentence and, uh, interaction.
1: Okay, let me get there. That's close-ish to the beginning. Very close to the beginning.
2: This is the one that begins, uh, there's Penelope? Yes. Okay. Four Kindle pages in, so it's like somewhere between (laughs) one and seven book pages. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, they have just gotten to the train station. And I got it. Okay.
2: Uh, Ginny caught Harry's eye, comma. And they both turned away to hide their laughter as percy strode over to a girl with long comma curly hair comma walking with his chest thrown out so that she couldn't miss his shiny badge
1: hmm.
2: so as as the only person on this podcast with a doctorate in the english language mm-hmm. and more specifically literature mm-hmm. i'm curious about the commas here <laughs> because none of them feel correct
1: yeah the first one is weird but fine fun. yeah it's...
2: yeah I feel like the first one's iffy and then and then it just gets uh, look like there is a parenthetical comma for curly hair but then a comma well, after curly hair
1: yeah because I think that um, I mean the long comma curly hair is you know i think there is an argument to be made that that is a sort of like separation just a separation of descriptors and Mm -hmm. while it would have been perfectly accurate to just leave that comma out it is also accurate to leave that in but coupled with the comma after hair that's the one that's really
2: quite bizarre so so the theory that i have is that this actually takes place in a different universe Mm -hmm um called do not turn back my lion and his girlfriend is a he and has a shiny badge
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay now i understand what you're doing i can read uh-huh. this this way now
1: i suppose uh, yeah i suppose that that is possible
0: <laughs> please see our other podcast
2: to understand what the hell we're talking about yes uh, because it, it makes perfect sense if his girlfriend is walking with his chest thrown out and <laughs> percy's now referred to as a she.
1: Um, Yeah, no, I buy that. You are right that that is a (laughs) – that that comma is so strange that I think to your point, it throws all of the other commas, which are actually correct, it throws them into question in that sense.
2: (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. So I have one more – Two more things that I find entertaining um, in terms of a punctuation slash grammatical uh, thing. This is a little bit further in the chapter, and it's a little less important, but we have a sentence that has a a very, very rarely seen, and I feel like this should be in uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the rare sentence that has two semicolons in it. Oh, boy. They were both wide and muscly, semicolon. Crab was taller with a pudding... Krabosaurus, uh, comma with a pudding hair, uh, pudding bowl haircut, and a very thick neck, semicolon goyle head, short s- comma bristly hair and long, comma gorilla-ish arms. Um, that, Tec- that was technically correct.
0: Semicolon separating clauses with their own included commas. It's well, just you don't. You, you could have made them separate
2: sentences. Well, when you say clauses, I feel like. um... It, it, it's, it's making a, an interesting case for, for what a clause is, you know, it seems like it needs a, a full thought in, in my, uh, understanding of what a clause is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last one we have is quite a bit further in the chapter with, um, the reaction of Snape when, uh, Professor Lupin is announced as the de- defense against the dark arts teacher, mm-hmm. um, which I find fascinating that it's like he didn't know before. And this is a surprise. Um, and come on, it's Dumbledore, uh, of course you'd do that.
1: I have a is sentence. it like really a surprise or is it that Snape is just that mad?
2: It could very well be that Snape is just that mad. And so whenever it's brought up, he's just angry. Yeah. Um, but we have this sentence, which is, it was beyond anger, colon, and then a capital. It was loathing.
1: Oh, mine does not have a capital. It was loathing in it. My version of this book does not have that. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Mine does have the capital. It has a lowercase i.
2: So somewhere in the transfer between the Queen's English, I assume is what your copy is, and whatever it is we speak over in the colonies, (laughs) somebody decided that that really needed a capital, and I don't know what they were thinking. That person was wrong.
1: I'm trying to figure out, no, this one was printed in the U S.
2: Interesting. So maybe it was a, but I can't imagine that that was like a word processor issue because a colon does not, as far as I know, define the end of a sentence unless, anyway. Um, could, could just be a Kindle issue. I mean,
0: Kindles tend to, uh, the Kindle versions tend to introduce so many different other errors that weren't
2: originally there. Um, and so my last bit is, uh, where I name a chapter by the things that happen in it. Okay. And so instead of the, uh, instead of the Dementors or, uh, we have Deus Ex, Sleepy Lupin <laughs> <laughs> with some chocolate, yes. um, which is also a fascinating thing to me that sort of everything else in this world has like weird, magical, uh, substitutions so instead of jelly beans we have Bertie bots every flavored beans mm-hmm. but we just have chocolate mm-hmm. like it's no but it is magical because it does all sorts of things protecting you from um the vampiric natures of dementors
1: well it peps you up a little bit at the end i like that <laughs> later in the chapter like Madame pomfrey is impressed that lupin knew to give them chocolate to make them feel better
0: I very much enjoyed that chocolate is apparently the actual book cure for whatever this condition is this isn't something (laughs) you just had on hand this is a set medical recipe available for this
2: particular circumstance Mm -hmm. I mean this almost sort of feels like the the very uh, tropey my doll and and chocolate cures all sure thing Mm -hmm. Um, but I hope it has has some more behind it Probably not, no. It's just chocolate. I, my hopes are, are rarely borne out, but I still hope them up from time to time. Okay. Uh, newbie, I hear you have notes. I have a
0: few. Uh, first of all, just to confirm, is Percy dating his snog partner from the last book?
2: Yes, that's the same um, girl.
0: Just wanted uh, to make sure.
2: Spencer? Mm-hmm? I would like you to define your understanding of snog. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm using the British definition of kissing. Fair enough. US. What's your
2: definition, BJ? I don't have one, but the ways I've heard it used is would be more synonymous with heavy petting, mm-hmm. um, which has also fallen out of uh, lexicon because hooking up has gotten to be a catch all phrase, which I think is unfortunate. Oh.
0: Sarah, I think you would agree that snogging in British English is pretty strictly just kissing.
1: Yes. I think it can cover some petting as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we, won't, we won't assume what Percy and his girlfriend were doing in that particular hallway when, when Jenny walked up on them. Uh, but it is interesting to see that Percy, now armed with girlfriend, is even more insufferable. This man mm-hmm. finds whole new ways to be insufferable, and with him chest-puffed-out, badge glittering in the sunlight... Oh, he's just inviting someone to take the piss out of him in some way at some time. Luckily, he's got siblings for that purpose, apparently. Especially Fred and George. (laughs) Oh, especially Fred and George. It is interesting to see more cars show up, because I commented before that I found it weird that the night bus just suddenly appeared when previously we'd seen the technology of this world was strictly kind of Victorian, early Edwardian kind of era. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just seems to embody the kind of schizo-tech that exists in the Wizard World, because we see, as well, A mass of horseless stagecoaches that are still distinctly stagecoaches show up, magically driven, to pick up all the students. So, sudden appearance of cars, seemingly also armed with night bus technology magic, uh, in terms of their ability to just move through any space necessary without issue, is interesting. It seems like maybe this is just the way they make cars in this particular magical way.
1: Um, Please put a note in, or a pin in this newbie's note, and we will revisit it in a couple of books.
2: Okay, highlighting. I also want to throw in the uh, actual dis- well discussion that I had earlier today with with uh, my girlfriend, completely un or yes, completely unrelated to Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> as to the origin of the word car. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, going through a couple of weird twists and turns from horseless carriage, I think this was a bad joke that needed to be included for for uh, personal amusement by by a certain author
1: hmm okay but we we do get the ministry of magic cars too though at the beginning of this chapter
2: yeah, yes you... and that's going to be part of later questions
0: yeah it, it is interesting to see again this distinctly muggle form of technology appear, where previously prior mm-hmm. books have indicated this was kind of weird but as you said pin is in it making a note of it we will return okay uh, as for Harry interrupting, there are so many moments I just every now and then want to pick up Harry and just shake him. This is one of those. It's like Harry interrupting saying, no, I know, everything, I know everything that's going on. I heard you perfectly. He's like, no, no, you didn't. You came into the conversation late and you left early. You missed like 30% in all the context. You have no clue, as proven by the end of the damn conversation he has with Arthur Weasley, where he's suddenly thrown the changeup of don't go looking for black. And of course he has no idea what Arthur's talking about, despite the fact that Arthur assumes that he does. And they depart with half the amount of guidance that he needs. All because (laughs) Harry wanted to try to show up somebody to show how smart he was. Don't do it, Harry. We all know you're not that smart. (laughs) Uh, It is interesting with that bit of advice, though, to see how many mortal enemies can a 13-year-old have? What... What kind of personal connection does this guy have with Sirius Black? I mean, previously it was Voldemort. He was there at the moment of his parents' death and he failed to murder him. How does Sirius work into this? I don't think we've been given really any context yet to know, other than that he's a very dedicated follower of Voldemort. Um, and you, you guys who know know these books better, uh, have we previously gotten any explanation for this? Or is this something, some mystery we're going to find out later? Therein uh, lies the crux of the issue. I'm yes. Sure. Okay. Again, putting a pin in that one. There's so many of my notes that are just highlighted for it. they made fun of me or they made, asked me to remember <laughs> this for later. Uh, next one, uh, th- I mentioned before in this podcast that our maybe before the episode that I learned a word or at least I finally learned the definition of a word that I'd heard many times before and just kind of shrugged it despite all, all opportunities to look it up. Darned in referring to an article of clothing. I've. For most of my life viewed that solely as a as a southern curse word, but now I also know that it is the process by which you can fix and patch clothing. Did probably should have known that. I've gotten more than enough context so far, but thank you, R- Professor RJ R- R- Lupin, for helping me, you know, learn this. You're a good professor even to people that don't
2: technically exist in your world. Spencer, by the state in which your socks are often found, I was mm-hmm. 100% sure that you are completely unaware of what Darned meant. Yeah. You've got a very graphic demonstration of the fact that me and Darning have
0: just never been in the same room. Uh, as for the reference, Professor R. J. Lupin, I see a favorite character incoming here. Uh, I'm already very, I'm already very much like this character, and I'm curious to see where he goes. If for no other reason, it's really nice to have a realistic, grounded, and competent professor for Defense Against the Dark Arts. Because I'm guessing where these books are going, that's going to be a useful thing. <laughs> uh, you're also probably like the most actual professor character we've seen yet at hogwarts everybody else is all kinds of varieties of quirky and i'm sure he'll get there eventually but at least for his initial introduction it's like oh hello
2: mr chips you've wandered into hogwarts what's going on let's see where this goes i mean dumbledore does represent an interesting and dare i say somewhat accurate depiction of certain qualities that might be associated with department heads mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's fair to say that a lot of
0: uh, J.K. Rowling's depictions of, of professors in this universe are maybe informed by a certain mocking views on academia, because they do embody certain extremes that are not necessarily uncommon. It, uh, it's also fun, because if, for our listeners who listen to our extra material, my randomly generated Harry Potter name is now Stan Lupin, so it is great to have now met both my namesakes, though I find it very interesting that having looked through the various traits that are used to describe them, my namesakes have skin conditions, inability to maintain accents, are slow on the uptake, have a slovenly appearance, also described as being haggard and poorly dressed, regularly engage in naps while traveling, and can sleep through anything. I feel personally attacked by how accurate the <laughs> Harry Potter name generator has in summing me up as a person. I also think it's a wonderful idea to carry chocolate with me at all times. So I'm just completely encapsulated in characters. And for Stan, that was a little bit rough, but for Lupin, it looks like there's hope. It seems like it's a character I could find things to like in for being a namesake of me. It's also <laughs> nice to have confirmed that it, the Lupin of my name was not seemingly referring to the uh, werewolf or dog or whatever that massive creature it's hunting Harry is. Now that I've actually met a character named that. So, you know, got that one cleared up. Oh, uh, what else? Uh, so, mentioned before we started recording that we now have proof in this chapter that Errol is the ultimate villain of this story. And that is by means of this sneakoscope that uh, Ron has. We clearly have indicated that the moment he brought that thing next to Errol, it went off. And it's apparently intended, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sarah, it is intended to advise you of someone who intends you ill.
1: Yes, someone is at least doing some sort of mischief near you.
0: (laughs) Well... I think it'd be perfectly fair that if indeed this thing is going off from Errol, which something in the, in, in the Weasley world is causing this to go off, because we've now had cur- heard a couple references to this thing going off, and as said, J.K. Rowling loves to work in threes for remembering things, but if, it's an er- if it is indeed Errol, he's got every justification in the world to want to seek revenge on all of humanity, and the Weasleys in particular. <laughs> They've given him every cause necessary to justify pretty much everything going up to murder for what they put this poor owl through. Were it not for the, you know, presence of his feathery friends, he would have long since died next to a road somewhere with the Weasleys, none the wiser. Uh, speaking of Ron, uh, sorry Ron, but I'm really with Hermione in terms of what her plans are for Hogsmeade. The, her description of various things that they can do in learning about the history of the Wizarding World just sounds great. And it reminds me again of how different and how, for me, fascinating it would be if Hermione was the narrator of this story. May not be as you know entertaining from a novel standpoint, but just for the wealth of information we get that Harry and Ron just do not give two shits about, I'd still appreciate it. I want to learn about the largest non-Muggle, sta- uh, no- largest non-Muggle city in Britain. I want to hear about the sites of historical sorcery and goblin rebellions, the most severely haunted places in Britain. Just like, can we go on a history tour? That'd be great. <laughs> you know, this is now your your
2: station eleven.
0: Yeah, sure, it is. <laughs> I'll, and just to make Ron happy, I'm fine if we get snacks before we go on it. This could this could work. Lupin's quiet, also, his qui- Lupin's quiet-worn professionalism has just worn me, has just really won me over in his confrontation with the Dementor. It's just awesome. He's got the immediate knowledge necessary. He doesn't feel the need to pontificate in any way. He quickly resolves the situation, and then he immediately brings to bear both knowledge and actions necessary to treat those that are injured, including chocolate, and also, something that nobody in these stories are willing to do, he sends an owl to get other people in the loop right away as to what occurred, so is that the people that he's sending off will be well cared for when they get there.
2: That's... Maybe that's why his name is Lupin. I don't get it. Because he loops them in. Oh. Alright, just give me a second. I'm going to recover. <laughs> just
0: sit
1: with that one for a few
0: minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, you right. literally just said I that yourself. I don't so... think in
0: those pain- that painful kind of way that you do. Uh, I even enjoy that, for the first time ever, a professor a professor of Defense Against the Dark Arts earns compliments from other professors for his no- very appropriate knowledge. We have not seen that before, and the other professors feel the need to point it out, given how rare it's been. Uh, speaking of Dementors, uh, Jesus Christ, what the hell are these things? Why do they exist in this world? And why does Harry, in particular, seem especially vulnerable to them? We hear... What is what is the, the uh, McGonagall or the medical professor's statement? They say that he is particularly sensitive to them in some ways. Is that what they say?
1: Um, I don't remember how they actually put it, but it's in a way that makes him feel like he has not.
0: Yeah, his manhood has been challenged like, by the descriptor. <laughs> yeah,
2: he's a sensitive
0: boy. Yes, uh, but it, it raises questions. It's like, is this another example of what hold Voldemort still has over him that he's vulnerable to this seemingly anti-dark magic that the Voldemort that the. Uh, the Dementors represent, despite very visibly being dark magic to themselves. Oh, they suggest no. he's
2: delicate. Oh, even worse. Yeah. So I think this is a question that I have as well, but I don't want to talk too much about it. Cause I feel like this is a note that you should highlight more than once. Okay. <laughs> that, that, will, this time. that I really want to ask questions about, but I think we have like three books until I can ask those, or two books until I can ask those questions.
0: Okay, I'm placing another pin. Good God,
2: I'm making a voodoo doll with my notes here. Uh, Regardless, am I, Sarah? Am I right that I have to wait about that long to ask the question I want to ask?
1: Uh, What specific question do you want to ask, BJ?
2: Um, Save it. Save it. Save it for
0: questions. I I love. I love when Sarah sighs and just says no. Okay. Uh, regardless of what is happening to Harry, this is going to give Draco ammo for the entire term and maybe the entire time they have at Hogwarts, and he's already making use of it. Which makes it nice to see Lupin be the first professor ever to intervene in an act of bullying. Ever. It has not happened previously at Hogwarts, from what I can tell. And he just kind of casually walks up and resolves the situation. Again, just how you'd like an actual professor to do. So again, kudos to him. Happy to have you on this university grounds. Maybe you can protect them from the murder that all the other students are actively trying to engage in throughout these years. Uh, Hermione's schedule did not resolve how I thought that conversation would go. I thought this would be a a moment of when the professors are bringing her in and saying, okay, Hermione, you physically cannot do what you have decided you're going to do for yourself. There are only so many hours in a day, you need to dial this back, but instead, she leaves the conversation remarkably upbeat, so I I don't know. There seems to be some trick here. I don't know what it is. Maybe they gave her something that she no longer needs to sleep because she'd find that wonderful, but we'll see. Uh, they just put her on your schedule, Spencer. <laughs> yes, don't do it, Hermione. I can advise you from experience. Uh, Dumbledore, with his, you know, little casual references to advise students in the crowd that only they will get, just kind of embodies the phrase, when you do things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. That just seems to be the maxim that he runs this school on. I'm not going to appear to do anything active, yet I'm just going to keep pulling the strings casually from behind the scenes at all times. I have questions about Snape and Lupin, and I'm just going to raise them here because I assume that you won't be able to tell us, Sarah, but... It is very interesting to see that described as being the exact same expression that Snape has for Harry. Uh, I don't even think at this point we know why Snape hates Harry as much as he does. I don't think that's been established yet in the book. Uh, so it's interesting to see somebody else fall in the same category. Because that's a unique kind of hatred. Snape hates everybody. We've seen that. <laughs> he hates himself probably. <laughs> but this kind of unique focused, I will make your life unpleasant just for your existence being near mine. We have only seen that once before. And it's. I'll be very curious to see if From the similarities between these two we can deduce a bit more of what why this is
1: we will get some explanations of that in this book
0: okay uh also oh god hagrid i am simultaneously so happy for a person and just utterly horrified at the school's vetting process and safety procedures because kids gonna die it's just like hagrid has all the passion necessary for this job he's gonna adore doing it and help other people adore it with him it's just you know if the last guy lost limbs I can only imagine what's going to happen this time around. But we'll see. Maybe everyone will survive. As we've seen before, regrowing at least bones doesn't seem to be that hard. So maybe it's not too much of a loss. Are those... Is
1: that the end of your newbie's notes, Spencer? That's the end of newbie's notes. Several questions to follow.
0: But before then, we have points.
1: Well, and I ask specifically if it's the end of your notes because you have given me the perfect transition to the winners and losers of this chapter.
0: Oh, great. Uh,
1: Hagrid, clear clear winner.
0: <laughs> Absolute in tears winner. Clearly
2: sir, all of his students.
1: <laughs> not within the confines of this chapter, although I guess everyone did have to go get that stupid book, so I guess they have already lost. Um,
0: in retrospect, yeah, that is the most haggard thing possible to send them to buy that book for the course. Yep.
1: Um outside of the blanket everyone taking uh uh care of magical creatures, Harry has had a really not great afternoon no well he is delicate he is delicate (laughs) and he really shouldn't be put in these situations Uh, yeah the random screaming and the passing out and then the getting mocked for it and um, feeling like he has lost sort of all machismo in any given situation not ideal for him
0: no not at all
1: so I don't know this was an easy chapter on that front
0: yeah, fair. I mean, if you want to do a backup, maybe Snape, just because another act of the universe has come around to defy him, and he's not gotten the job, and someone he apparently hates has
2: gotten it. But we don't know so, enough there. I would yeah. say that, that Snape is kind of similar to uh, the Hulk. Is His secret is, he's always angry. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This may give him just more fuel to run on. Just, I have more hate to compel me. Uh, I mean, it does stem from a lack of a green thumb.
1: (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) He has trouble with flowers. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you. Yes, he does. I'm just staring at the wall trying
0: to detox from your lines this episode. (laughs) Spencer, I don't think you know what I'm talking
2: about, which is the funnier (laughs) part.
1: (laughs) Uh. All right. What questions do we have, guys?
2: Um. Uh. Want I to want to go, go first because right. I have a question that has nothing to do with the chapter. Perfect. <laughs> did you know that J.K. Rowling was head girl at a boarding school? She was at. Yes, oh, I God. did not know that.
0: Is Percy her spirit animal?
2: Uh, I don't know, but the secondary school she mm-hmm. was apparently head girl, and so. I have so many more questions that have nothing God. to do with the books themselves.
0: Man, of all the characters, I would have lost money on the idea of Percy being her her author avatar, <laughs> her the author insert in the story.
1: Yeah, I had no idea. That is weird and fascinating. And
2: maybe a little on brand. Yeah. Um, Who knew? I have so many other questions. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask one that is uh more related to this chapter which is is lupin's first name intentionally a pun uh
1: yeah ramus
2: yes
0: does, that, does dumbledore say that later
1: um i yeah i don't know if he's interested i mean we certainly learned probably in the next chapter if we didn't at the end of this chapter but um no, professor lupin's he's, he's,
0: first he's name hoping- is is ramus Okay. Yeah, you just referred to him as Professor Lupin, I think.
2: Mm hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, but we'll leave that aside um, mostly as a joke, and I will turn it over to Spencer, <laughs> but I have many more questions.
0: Okay. Uh, making another note for later coming back to um, <laughs> Love potions. So I think this is the one her- of well, the first references we've gotten to the idea. Of we've. Well, we've previously had you know the idea of mind control been established correct me if i'm wrong here sarah but i think some people tried to get out of being punished by arguing that they were being mind controlled by dark wizards and it wasn't really them doing it Mm-hmm. okay
2: uh, i think this is the ninth mansion by the way
0: uh, so with respect to love potions and things like that is there any form of magical regulation that goes into these kind of things because mind control seems like an especially violated kind of practice that's previously been tied into the dark arts whereas here it's just three girls giggling about making one.
1: Yeah, um, they're not. We learn more about kind of what love potions actually are mm. later. Um, although I'm not sure—is it a spoiler to tell you about it? They're—they're they're not regulated, although they are sort of like frowned on. <laughs> gotcha. Um, simply because they're manipulative, but not. This is this dangerous. Is in- dangerous. Although the, we the get wisdom. some. The Wisdom World Me Too are. movement
2: has a lot more to deal with than than the muggle one. <laughs> we'll yes, and, and they have eventually. not like
1: gotten they they've not had the uh sort of full come to come to Jesus meeting that one might have hoped at this point. Um and we get no evidence of it moving forward. So, you know, not great, but
2: <sighs> okay, fine. Uh BJ, you got another one? Uh yeah. So Um, when, when Harry Potter is described as delicate in this chapter by some professors, um, are they aware of information that would be, um, a horrific spoiler, uh, to what is to come? I think in much later books.
1: Um, I don't think so. I think that they are talking about the sort of immediate, I think that they, they know, about what we will, I think they can understand why Harry is being affected specifically this way by the Dementors, which we learned in this book.
2: But Um, it's not a mm -hmm. thing that's later on because that raises many more questions that I think we'll get to eventually.
1: Yeah. But no, I, my reading of this is that they are responding to like the immediate and relatively apparent when you know a few more things about Dementor's reasons why he is particularly affected by them.
2: Okay.
0: Hmm. Mental note, Curious what that's going to be. Oh, sorry. Um, question from me. Uh, Weasley, Arthur Weasley's authority. We know that he is a bureaucrat with the Ministry of Magic. But we see here in this scene that he is apparently one of enough authority that the entire team that escorts him and his family to the train station salutes him before they go. How high up is Arthur? Is he actually a pretty big guy Cause previously I thought he was just kind of like a mid level bureaucrat of forgotten department
1: um yeah, that's more correct um i'm gonna I'm trying to turn to that scene to see exactly what is said because like I mean, they sent the cars because Harry's with them mm-hmm. um I we might just be in a sort of like british thing
0: <laughs> class system at work, yeah.
1: <laughs> Um
0: you are one rung above me in any means or any way, therefore I must therefore acknowledge you get your presence.
1: Saluted? Like maybe. Um Okay, hold on. Harry got blah, blah 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 blah. Because it is like they are driven by essentially chauffeurs.
2: So maybe a little bit more of like a hat tip rather than like a yeah. military to superior salute.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they touched their hat in salute
2: mm-hmm.
1: to Mr. Weasley. Well, um, so that-
0: that, that could just be a polite gesture rather than a recognition of authority.
1: I think so, yeah, because Arthur doesn't have any authority.
0: That, that's what caught me off guard, because this, yeah. this is like, you know, honoring, honoring a very senior man in the company, whereas, you know, previously it was like, no, this is a forgotten guy in a locked closet in the corner.
1: Yeah, no, and so I think what's going on here is that these are chauffeurs who have been told by the Minister of Magic to do this thing, therefore Arthur has some sort of authority in their eyes, um, but he doesn't have any actual authority.
0: Gotcha. So these aren't actually like regular Ministry of Magic employees, uh, or at least not in the sense of like, you know, agents. These are just no. the guys that drive the cars.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'm not sure if you basically got like an FBI team to escort them to the train station or not. <laughs> what else you got for us, S- BJ?
2: So I have transportation questions. Okay. okay. Um, so why is there a fleet of cars to transport Harry to the train station? when they could just presumably drive to Hogwarts when they're supremely worried about his safety? Or am I completely missing the essentially police escort to the train station?
1: Um, I mean, B.J. Harry had to be on the train so that he could encounter a Dementor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, Um... you don't get to do that.
2: (laughs) Okay, um, no, no, 100% you get to do that, um, but that, that is kind of what I suspected. Um, follow-up, so on the train, there seem to be, everybody has, like, compartments with groups. Yeah. Um, and they seem to start out in a compartment that includes the troublesome trio and Ginny.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
2: They then tell Ginny to... Go away because she 's annoying uh-huh then decide that the compartment that they're in isn't private enough to which they go into one of the only ones that has a professor in it and decide that since he 's sleeping that 's the best way to get privacy
1: yeah <laughs> um, i don't know the- but my
2: question is uh-huh. why in previous times were did they seem to get from the train to Hogwarts without extra uh, Trent maneuver uh, means of conveyance, but now they have horseless carriages, and if it's because the train never actually arrived to Hogwarts, are there just horseless carriages wandering throughout the countryside to be the uh, last mile deliverance of these students?
1: No, so um, the train was stopped by the Dementor outside, very close to, but outside of the the station in Hogsmeade, um, and then the train started going again to get all the way to Hogsmeade. Um, mm-hmm. But the Hogsmeade Village, where the train station is, um, is a little bit away from Hogwarts. In the first book, we saw them, they t- all the first years take the boats with Hagrid, um, mm-hmm. so that they get like a very particular first view of the castle, quite honestly. Um, gotcha. But then, in subsequent years, everybody takes these horseless coaches. We just didn't get that scene last year because Harry and Ron were in the flying Ford Anglia.
2: Okay. So, so this is very much like a Disney experience where crossing the, the water on a boat is the real way to do it, but you can take a disappointing trait there. Yes.
1: Um, Gotcha. Yes. And you could, you can technically walk it as we learn because, um, when the students do go to Hogsmeade,
2: they walk. Um, can you not flew there?
1: Um, I, my impression is, I I mean, you can, um, it's just difficult to transport that number of students via limited numbers of fireplaces in a timely manner. Okay. Spencer.
0: i actually, that's all the questions I have. Other than just a general statement of, I really liked this chapter. It made me happy. (laughs) It's, uh, seems to be a chapter where it's just really showing that, uh, girl who's really gotten comfortable with these and is writing quite well. And it just leaves me really excited to see where the rest of this
2: book goes. Uh, I have another question, though. Lay it on us. Um, are the only competent professors Gryffindor and Snape?
1: Um, no, I would say that Sprout is a... Professor Sprout is very competent. Mm,
2: okay. And Ravenclaw?
1: Um, Professor Flitwick is very competent.
2: Hmm... We're going into interesting territory here. Okay, fair enough.
1: <laughs> what what would you say is the argument that they are not competent?
2: Uh, I mean, getting students to actually learn their subject and not exposing them to very entertaining dangers. But I guess that's sort of Hogwarts in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's only a certain number of. I think that you like as far as danger goes, it has to be a sort of like, do they keep the like actual danger to a relatively.
2: Yeah. Do do their students mostly survive? Yes. Um, and then I guess, it's sort of in this vein, it kind of seems like some people are surprised by uh, the professors that just show up to teach defense against the dark arts, and or um, Hagrid being a, a professor teacher now. Mm-hmm. Um, is this some of Dumbledore's whims? And how how extent is the Wizarding world extensive enough that wizards don't really know each other?
1: Um, that's a really interesting question. I, there is some evidence that for the most part, if you were like an adult wizard in the world, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you know, someone like Harry or Hermione particularly, uh, a little bit less so Ron, simply because he has grown up in in the wizarding world, and right. in the wizarding world with a, a parent who works in um, the Ministry of Magic, but like for the most part, like the adult wizards kind of n- know each other or at least know of each other. I think we get a lot of, like all of the wizards in the UK, like kind of at least would recognize names more or less.
2: Yeah. Um, like there and, aren't that many I guess people. That's kind of why I was curious about like the surprises that sort of seem to happen when professors show up and just like, well, if you kind of know everybody, at least to a certain extent, it sort of seems like these surprises shouldn't really be there unless it's really, like, a Dumbledore wham.
1: Yeah. Well, I do think that we find out um, why some people might have been surprised that Lupin particularly yeah. was chosen for this job um, uh, moving forward. Yes. Well,
2: prof- uh, prof-
0: professor questioned it on that point because I realized I don't know the, na- the houses they're in, but uh, what 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 houses are Hooch, Pomfrey, and Lupin in, or part of?
1: Well We don't know. Um, I mean, they're not... We don't know, like, what... Um, house they were in when they were at school. We will find that out for for Lupin, but for um, Madam Hooch and Madam Pomfrey, like, we just don't. They're not associated with a house now as professors, um, okay. and we don't learn, like, what their house was when they were in school.
0: Okay, so for certain professors they aren't necessarily teaching specific subjects, aren't, like, the head, the head of a house, they're just mm-hmm. kind of neutral? Yes. Gotcha.
1: Um, and we'll meet kind of more of those going along now, too, especially because... Um, our main characters are taking more classes this year.
2: (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And some strange things might happen.
1: Uh, uh Um, Yeah, as we will learn more about in our next chapter, chapter six, called Talons and Tea Leaves. (laughs)
2: Uh, Yeah, that that sounds uh, quite exciting. I wonder if we're going to read some tea leaves and do some divination. Maybe. Uh, maybe. (laughs) But... Uh, I think, uh, we'll have to look forward to that, uh, next time. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun as usual, guys. Yeah. Till then. Bye,
1: y'all.